Welcome to another episode of From the Depths with Dr. Shimon Blau, based on Rabbi Ephraim Ushri's questions and responses from the depths. Some episodes in this series may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed by the Nazis and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. As mentioned in the introduction to this series, I'm going to try to go in order based on the Hebrew version of Rabbi Ashri's works. However, there will be a few questions and responses that I'm going to skip and save for a later date, either because of the complexity or the length. That being said, I debated for a while whether or not to include today's topic. Now we're at a later date. Not so much given the length, because it's not terribly long, but it is much more complex than previous responses that we've covered. In the end, I decided to cover this topic now, because it may actually provide a window into what the experience is like for people that dedicate themselves to going to rabbinical school and spending hours upon hours poring over the Talmud. Rabbi Yashri's response in this episode is quite analytical and could have easily been given over as a lecture in any yeshiva. So for those who have never had the experience of sitting and learning in a yeshiva, this may provide an idea of what it's like to analytically delve into Talmudic studies. As mentioned in previous episodes, every day the Nazis would require the Jews of the Kovno Ghetto to provide a thousand Jews for slave labor at their airfield. Rabbi Yashri was approached by one of his students, Rabbi Yaakov, who was eventually killed by the Nazis. Rabbi Yaakov was given the opportunity to work in a kitchen where they would cook a black soup that the Germans would supply to the Jewish laborers along with 100 grams of bread every day. This posed several problems. One was that it would require him to work on Shabbos, on the Sabbath. However, there would be an advantage in that he would be spared from hard labor, which could be both psychologically damaging as well as physically destructive. In addition, by having more access to food, he could remain more physically and mentally healthy, and perhaps he would be able to better survive the starvation that was occurring in the ghetto. Another question was whether or not he would be allowed to eat the food that was cooked on Shabbos. Rabbi Yashri's response touches upon some major themes in halacha, Jewish law. So before we get into Rabbi Yashri's response, I'd like to give a little bit of an introduction to make his response a lot more understandable. The question really revolves around Bishul B'Shabbos, cooking on Shabbos, which is something which is prohibited. Torah-observant Jews do not do any work on Shabbos, but the definition of work is not limited to going into the office, pushing around some papers, making some phone calls, although those are also included. The biblical definition of work, which is not allowed on Shabbos, is learned from the types of labor that was performed in erecting, or in service of the Mishkan, which was the Jewish tabernacle in the desert. This was kind of like a mini temple which traveled with the Jews throughout their journeys in the desert. There were 39 general types of work that were done in the Mishkan, and these are the 39 types of work that are prohibited on the Shabbos. These include things such as transferring from one domain to another, writing, as well as cooking. This is because in the service of the Mishkan, there were certain breads or wafers that were baked to accompany sacrifices or offerings. Any type of labor that falls into one of these categories or subcategories is what's called Usr Midiraisa, prohibited from the Torah itself. In addition, the rabbis included certain prohibitions, mostly because they might resemble biblically prohibited labor. These are what's known as as Usr Midirabanan, prohibited by the rabbis. Another topic which Rabbi Yashri's response touches upon is the concept of Malacha She'ena Tzricha Gufa, which means a labor which is done for a reason different than the usual reason why that labor is usually done. There are varying opinions among the early commentators as to exactly what this includes. An example of a Malacha She'ena Tzricha Gufa, a labor which is not required for its own purpose, would be somebody who moves a thorn in a public domain more than Dalad Amos, which is a certain amount of measurement, which is prohibited on the Sabbath. The purpose of the person moving the thorn is not necessarily to move the thorn, but rather to remove a danger in the public domain. There is a dispute in the Talmud whether this is prohibited biblically or only rabbinically. So with all this in mind, let's proceed to Rabbi Yashri's response. Rabbi Yashri begins by quoting the Talmud in Tractate Chulin, Tasvav Amidala 15a. 
The Gemara states that the law with regards to somebody who cooks on Shabbos in violation of Torah law is a subject to a three-way disagreement. According to Rabbi Meir, if the food was cooked inadvertently, b'shogeg, he can eat what he cooked. However, if it was done deliberately, b'mezid, he cannot eat what he cooked. Rashi, one of the earliest and foremost commentators on the Talmud, explains that Rabbi Meir's opinion refers to both the person who cooked the food as well as to anybody else. Meaning, if it was cooked accidentally, anybody is allowed to eat the food including the one who made the food. If it was done on purpose, when Rabbi Meir said that he is not allowed to eat the food, this refers to on Shabbos itself. However, Matzah Shabbos, on Saturday night, once Shabbos is over, both the person who cooked the food as well as anyone else is allowed to eat the food. However, says Rashi, they would have to wait what's called Bikteshiyasu, the amount of time that it would take somebody to make the food after Shabbos. The reason for this is because once such a point of time has occurred, theoretically, the food could have been cooked permissibly. The next opinion is that of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda stated that if somebody cooks food inadvertently on Shabbos, he can eat the food on Matzah Shabbos on Saturday night, and Rashi adds that this also includes everybody else, meaning both him and anyone else can eat the food on Matzah Shabbos. However, they would have to wait the amount of time that it would take to cook the food. If someone cooks deliberately, then the law is that he can never eat the food. This is because the rabbis penalized him by forbidding him to ever enjoy the consequences of his willful transgression. However, anybody else can partake of the food on Matzah Shabbos, as long as they wait Shiasu, as Rashi explains. And finally, there is the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan Asandler, who stated that if somebody cooks food inadvertently, the food can be eaten after the departure of Shabbos by others, but not by him. And if the food was cooked deliberately, the food can never be eaten, neither by him nor by anyone else. I would like to point out that the classic case of somebody who cooks food bishogeg inadvertently refers to somebody who either forgets that it's Shabbos or forgets that this particular work is not allowed on Shabbos. Rabbi Yashri quotes the Rambam, Maimonides, in Hilchus Shabbos Halacha Chaf Gimel 23, who ruled that if a Jew does any sort of malacha, any sort of work on Shabbos, if it was done deliberately, he is prohibited from receiving any sort of benefit from that work forever. With regards to any other Jew, they can receive benefit from that work on Matzei Shabbos, on Saturday night, once the Shabbos is over, and this is learned from the Torah, Exodus 31.14, where it states, And you shall observe the Shabbos, for it is consecrated for you. We learn from this that it is consecrated for you teaches us that it is consecrated. The day of Shabbos is consecrated, but not its work. Thus, it is clear that the Rambam accords with the middle opinion of Rabbi Yehuda quoted earlier. Again, as a reminder, Rabbi Yehuda stated that somebody who transgresses willfully can never benefit. However, others can receive benefit after Shabbos. Rabbi Yashri quotes from the Torah, written by Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher, one of the early codifiers of Jewish law, that the halacha, the Jewish law, actually accords with the more lenient opinion of Rabbi Meir, that somebody who cooks inadvertently can benefit from that transgression the same day, and if it was a willful transgression, both he or anybody else cannot benefit from it that day. However, they may benefit from it on Matzei Shabbos. However, he states that the majority of opinions agrees with the Rambam, who rules according to Rabbi Yehuda. This includes the Ramban and the Shulchan Aruch, composed by Rabbi Yosef Karo. Rabbi Yashri also points out that the Rambam and Shulchan Aruch disagree with Rashi when it comes to the law of Bikteh Yasu, having to wait on Matzei Shabbos the amount of time that it would take to cook the food. As we mentioned earlier, Rashi holds that whenever there is an opinion that food may be eaten on Matzei Shabbos, one would have to wait the amount of time that it would take to make the food. This was a knas, a penalty, that the rabbis placed on the person. The Rambam and Shulchan Aruch disagree with this and hold that whenever there is a stated opinion that food may be eaten on Matzei Shabbos, the food can be eaten immediately following Shabbos and one would not have to wait. Rabbi Yashri then quotes from the Myagan of Ram, Rabbi Avram Gambiner, in Semen Shin Yudches, Sifkan Beis, who wrote that 
If somebody has somebody else cook for him, it's as if he actually did the cooking himself. Based on all of this, with regards to the question that was asked to Rabbi Ashri, he states that you could make an argument that both the person doing the cooking on Shabbos, as well as all the people that he's cooking the food for, would not be able to eat from the food, both on Shabbos itself, as well as Matzei Shabbos, after Shabbos, which is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, that with regards to willful transgression of cooking on Shabbos, it's prohibited to eat from the food, as well as based on the Magan of Ram, who states that anyone for whom the food is cooked would be just like the person who cooked the food himself. However, Rabbi Yashri then quotes from the Sefer Rosh Yosef, which was written by Rabbi Yosef ben Shol, found in Tractate Shabbos, Daf Ayin Beis, page 72, that if somebody is forced to choose to either transgress the Shabbos or to eat something which is not kosher, he should choose to transgress the Shabbos. The reason for this is because of the concept which we talked about in the introduction. This would be considered a malacha she'ena tzricha legufa, an act of labor which is done not for its usual intended purpose, and therefore it would only be prohibited rabbinically, whereas somebody who eats something which is not kosher, transgresses an actual biblical commandment. The Rosh Yosef brings a proof to this from the Pnei Yehoshua, written by Rabbi Yaakov Yehoshua Falk, who held the opinion that somebody who transgresses the Shabbos because of Yisurim, hardships, would not actually be transgressing a biblical commandment for the same reason. This would be considered something which is done not for its usual intended purpose. Just to be clear, this concept of Yisurim, hardships, can have many meanings and nobody should take this as a carte blanche to transgress Shabbos for any typical thing which may be considered a hardship. In any case, the idea behind this argument is that since the work that is being done, cooking the food on Shabbos, is only being performed because he's being forced to do so by the Nazis, but not because he really wants to cook some food on Shabbos, this would fall into the category of a malacha she'ena tzricha legufa, an act that is not being done for its usual intended purpose, and would only be prohibited rabbinically. Based on the words of the Rosh Yosef, the Maharsham, Rabbi Shalom Mordechai Shwadron, wrote in Orchas Chaim Hilchas Shabbos, Simen Reish Ayin Ches, 278, that Jews who have to serve in the army and are required to do labor on the Shabbos are really only transgressing rabbinic prohibitions for the same reason. It's considered an ones, inadvertent, and he brings as a proof to his opinion from the Maharik, Rabbi Yosef Kolon Trabato, who wrote that if somebody is forced to cook something on Shabbos, this is only a rabbinic prohibition because, as we've stated earlier, it's considered a malach hashen etzrich legufa, work that is being done for a reason other than its usual intended purpose. Rabbi Yashri then asks, a major question. It says in the Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, in the second parak, the second chapter of Chagiga, Halacha Aleph, Law 1, that during a time of oppression, the Jews were forced to carry heavy loads on Shabbos. The Jews were careful to make sure that they had two Jews carrying each heavy load, and the reason for this is because there is an established law that any Jewish labor which is performed on Shabbos, which is accomplished through the efforts of more than one person, is only prohibited rabbinically, but not on a biblical level. In order for something to be considered a labor on Shabbos on a biblical level, it has to be through the efforts of just one person. The question is an obvious one. If the very fact that the Jews were being forced to do this labor in the first place makes it rabbinic because of the concept of malacha she'ena tzricha legufa, that it's only a work which is being done not for its usual purpose, why was there a need for the Jews to make sure that each heavy load that they carried was being carried by two people in order to make it rabbinic in nature? It was rabbinic in nature anyway by virtue of the fact that they were being forced to do it. In other words, even if the Jews had not resorted to carrying the heavy loads with two people, and each one had carried a heavy load alone, this would still only be a rabbinic prohibition because of the fact that they were being forced to do it. To answer this question, Rabbi Yashi says as follows. With regards to this law of 
work that's being done on Shabbos, not for its usual intended purpose. There's actually a disagreement between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon whether or not this is considered biblically forbidden or just rabbinically. Rabbi Shimon is of the opinion that this is just rabbinic in nature, whereas Rabbi Yehuda himself holds that it is indeed biblical in nature. Furthermore, there's a disagreement between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda with regards to the law of two people doing a malacha, a form of labor on Shabbos, together. Rabbi Meir held that this is actually biblical in nature, it's biblically not allowed, whereas Rabbi Yehuda himself held that it was only rabbinic in nature. Based on this, says Rabbi Ashri, the Jews who were careful to do malacha on Shabbos, to do work on Shabbos together, were trying to avoid doing any sort of biblical prohibition on Shabbos, according to all opinions, meaning as follows. According to Rabbi Meir, who held that two people doing malacha together on Shabbos is still biblical in nature, they could rely on the leniency of Rabbi Meir, who held that a malacha she'ena any work that's done not for its usual intended purpose, is rabbinic in nature. And even according to Rabbi Yehuda, who held that a malacha she'ena tzricha legufa is not allowed biblically, they would still only be violating a rabbinic prohibition by following the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda with regards to the law of two people who do work on Shabbos together, who held that this was only rabbinic in nature. So either way you look at it, they were able to avoid transgressing any biblical prohibitions. Rabbi Ashri then quotes from three more sources, the Maharik, Rabbi Yosef Kolob Trabato, a 15th century Italian rabbi, the Primigadim, Rabbi Yosef ben Meir Teumim, a 17th century Galician rabbi, as well as the Chavis Yoyer, Rabbi Yair Chaim Bachrach, a 17th century German rabbi, who all say the same thing, that somebody who's forced to perform work on Shabbos by the government or the king only transgresses on a rabbinic level because it's a malacha she'ena tzricha legufa. It's an act of work which is being done not for its usual intended purpose. Based on all of this, says Rabbi Ashri, the Jews in the Kovno ghetto were being forced by the Nazis to transgress Shabbos, and you can't find a greater case of onus, of an inadvertent transgression than this. Therefore, there's no question that this was permitted on Shabbos. So Rabbi Yashri's final psak halacha, his final halachic ruling, was that it was allowed for this Jew, Rabbi Yaakov, to cook on Shabbos. Because he states that his options were either to cook on Shabbos or work in the airfield on Shabbos. Either way, he would be transgressing Shabbos. And any way you look at it, it's a malacha she'ena tzricha legufa. It's a work that's being done and not for its usual intended purpose, which anyway is only prohibited on a rabbinic level. But regardless of that, it's a case of sakonis nefashos. It's a case of saving a life. Therefore, not only did he allow the actual cooking of the food, but he also allowed all of the Jews who were working in the airfield to eat from this black soup, on account of this being a case of sakonis nefashis, danger to life, if they didn't eat it. Rabbi Yashri concluded this response by saying, The good God should save us from transgressions, and should say to the destructor, Enough! And take us out from darkness to light, from servitude to redemption, speedily in our days, Amen. This has been From the Depths by Dr. Shimon Blau. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for further episodes. Music by Dexter Britton. 